Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking basketball, Raging Cajun basketball with longtime fan Mike Gaber. How are you this morning, Mike? I'm doing great. Looking forward to Thursday night, although I cannot be there because I have other responsibilities here. I I have a family member. My daughter lives in Florida, and, and uh, thanks to the RCF, you know, we've got her set up and a friend to be there Thursday night, so the family will be represented. Yeah, this is going to be uh, – I struggled a lot with it because I just went back to work recently, and I really wanted to make that trip. But after being off for uh, almost three months, it's kind of hard to tell your boss, hey, I'm taking vacation time for three days to go out to Orlando for, for basketball. But it is what it is. Um, understood hey uh late night game though 8 40 uh central time which uh is not horrible but not i'm just realizing that's 9 40 on the east coast in, in orlando so that's going to be a, a long day for him uh before we get started in in everything what do you think that does to a team playing later like that and you think that'll have an effect on the game it makes them anxious especially a team like us who's the underdog but on the other hand, it's a great opportunity beyond the start time. It is on regular CBS. It's not relegated to True TV or something like that. So it's a great opportunity to showcase our program. I uh, think the kids realize that. Not only kids, they're young men, coaches, etc. So, but you've got to make sure you don't let the moment be too big for you where you get too jacked up and too excited. You don't play well. And playing and you know, when you got long time to kill, there's only so much film you can watch, only so much stretching you can do, so many shooting rounds you can do. But the opponent has the same issue. You know, you know, you, you, you mentioned uh, probably. You know, I don't know. I don't recall if they were in the NCAA last year. I think they. In fact, I know they were. They've had a good team with Rick Warren there for several years. So maybe it's a new experience for us, not so much for them. We'll see how we handle it. Yeah, you. Uh, you, you can tell we both listened to Coach Rowe for a little bit because. Uh, uh, not letting the moment be bigger than b- bigger than you. So yeah, it's uh, it is. Uh, I'm sorry. I it, it, I just realized that, and and it just dawned on me 9:40 Eastern. So, but I agree with you that the nerves, the anxiousness, the butterflies, and I think it's more so for our team than Tennessee. So, but the key on that is you still take it to be on CBS versus yes. one of the other minor networks. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. A great opportunity is the way you have to look at it. Absolutely. Great challenge, but also a great opportunity. Focus on the opportunity. Let's go back uh, before we start talking about this year of this game. Let's go back and revisit a little history between the two programs. First meeting 1966 at Tennessee. The uh, Cajuns dropped 167 to 52. We're not going to go into every game, but uh, overall, one and nine against Tennessee. Uh, they've met twice in the NCAA tournament, uh, 1982 and 2000. Uh, you know, everybody remembers that 2000 game. What what do you remember about it, Mike? I remember that uh, beyond the steal that Brett Smith had, that was the phantom foul, that we would have had a layup. We had guys streaking down the, the sideline, and the game would have been tied, and Tennessee would have been going with the last shot. Everybody focused on the steal. What I remember is, it was a short layup out of the steel. That, that's my main memory. And back then, you know, it wasn't uh, every game on. Like those of us who weren't living in Lafayette, you weren't either. You know, we were finding sports bars to watch it. I was in New Orleans and we had a good contingent of UL or USL at the time. Maybe we had just changed the name. I mean, we were UL uh, at one of the, the places and uh, we were all 
happy with the performance, but disappointed in the result. Yeah, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings in uh, Indianapolis. That was my first introduction to Buffalo Wild Wings, and they had TVs on on every game, and I was screaming at the TV that wasn't a foul, and and a girl turned around and said, who are you pulling for? Uh, And she had an orange T-shirt. I said, it's not, not your team I'm pulling for. I'm pulling for mine, the Cajuns. So very frustrated. That's that I remember about, uh, yeah. And it was a pretty intense, well, hard play game throughout. You know, the, the, the teams also met up in, in the NIT in the second round of the NIT when Bobby Pascal was the coach and they had a, a dropped a one point loss. Uh, I remember that, that team, but I, I don't remember a whole lot of the game. Do you remember anything about that game? I remember the, uh, Rules were different then. We uh, last we had a, I don't remember the lead five points or so within the last twenty to thirty seconds, and one and ones were being shot. And the Cajuns missed the ball. Back in those days, it was not two shots after ten fouls. After seven fouls, the one and one even if you shot, you know, went up to thirty fouls, and the two one and ones were missed by a couple of our good free throw shooters. I think Drexel Allen was one, but and then we threw away an inbounds pass. And they had a guy named Tony White who was scorching the nets. He got hot and and allowed the Volunteers to pull it out. We had beaten Florida by one point in the previous game here in the NIT. You know, back when the NIT would do things like that, send an SEC school to a, a lower-level school, that would never, ever happen today. And uh, that's what I remember about that game, is the, the missed free throws. Was that the game that there was a big discrepancy in uh, our free throw shooting to theirs, that we shot like 12 and they shot like 32 or something like that? I don't recall. I can't answer that. Okay. Way. I just know we've missed at least two one-on-ones yep. in the last few seconds. Okay. You know? And also, and, the, uh, yeah, I think the three-point shot had just come into play. I don't know if that was a factor or not, or maybe it was the season after. And then the next season, uh, the Cajuns head to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl Classic and beat the Volunteers for the only victory, 79-78 in double overtime. Uh, it was always fun for me to go back home and be able to go. I enjoyed the Sugar Bowl Classic uh, basketball yeah, tournament. I did too. Years I was living there, I went all three times uh, the Cajuns played. I don't remember the exact years, but I know one year we beat Michigan State and lost to Mississippi State in the finals. Uh, beat Kansas and Florida in the NIT Final Four year, Grinnell and Warren and that bunch, Deion Brown's senior year. And then the year that we beat Tennessee in, in double overtime there, uh, Cedric Hill, if name come from the past, had sort of become the leader of the team. You know, he was one of the key backups in the previous years, and greater than them were here. And he had a big game the last time. Unfortunately, the efforts we fit out to beat Tennessee, we got beat pretty bad by Pittsburgh in the finals that year. It's, uh, yes. Uh, I just, I remember sitting there, and there wasn't large crowds uh, at the games, but there was always, you know, wherever you're sitting, I'm looking over and I'm like, there's such and such. He's the coach of, you know, Pitt. There's such and such. He's the coach of Tennessee. I just remember it being much more accessible to the coaches and the players at that time than than there is now. I uh, I guess now it's all the film. Social media and, wasn't as big back then, so they didn't have to be on their guard what they say every second. Yep. Uh, but – all right, let's move on, Mike. Let's uh, tell me about Tennessee's schedule there. How did they? It, it to me, just at first glance, it seems like their non-conference schedule. They actually played a de- de- decent non-conference schedule compared to some of their uh, SEC brethren. 
Well, Tennessee was ranked number one in the country at one time earlier this year. And if you look at their non-conference schedule, you figure it out, figure out why it was. Overall, they were 23 and 10, 11 and 7 in the SEC. In the SEC tournament, they beat Ole Miss by 15, and they lost to Missouri by eight. Missouri was one of their nemesis that they'd lost in Missouri early in the regular season. But going back to November, December, listen to the teams they beat in non-conference. Gonzaga. I think they're number two seed, Big West Tournament champions. USC, Kansas, defending national champions, number one seed. Maryland and Texas. Texas, number two seed. Uh, something they're going to win it all. You know, we saw how good they are with the Cajuns playing them back in the uh, uh, late December. And their only losses, uh, well, in non-conference were also pretty tough, Colorado and Arizona. If you look at their overall record, they're 14-2 and two at home. Most of those games I just talked about, about these very attractive uh, opponents, or identical opponents, were on neutral courts. And they're four and six on the road. It means they only played one true non-conference road game, and that was against Arizona, and that was a close game. Most of their road losses in the SEC were late in the season after they suffered a significant injury. In fact, six of their 10 losses since February 1st. But don't be fooled there by that. Many of those games were quite competitive, and the reason they started suffering those is their schedule in the SEC was front-loaded with home games and back-loaded with road games. They were playing Auburn and Kentucky, Alabama teams that were actually playing well towards the end of the season. So, you know, Tennessee's definitely well-tested. Look at the people they went against. Yeah, I think, uh, and and you bring up some good points there, especially with the uh, road losses and, and and the ability to play at home. Um, but five and two in neutral site games is, I think, uh, a, probably a huge advantage. Getting used to that, playing neutral site games versus the Cajuns' really only true neutral site games was the Sunbelt Conference tournament. So yeah, we had one in uh, back in November before Thanksgiving and. In North Carolina, there, but oh. one of those games was a pseudo home game for one of the opponents. Well, and I think so, that's, I, I think that's an advantage uh, for the Cajuns in the neutral site games because, uh, which I'm sure the same thing with Tennessee, there were probably large crowds, but having a, a bigger crowd on the road, and the same thing in Pensacola, I, from what I saw on TV and everything in the championship game against South Alabama, that was a great atmosphere in Pensacola. Yes, uh, playing South Alabama in the finals, actually, I think is a good experience for uh, play at a bigger arena because uh, South Alabama had a large following. They were playing well at the end of the season. They had a lot of folks there. Uh, it's spring break, so they had a lot of students there as well. But I, I said this last week, I'll say it again. Kudos to our fans for actually matching the energy of the uh, the Jaguars. And I know we have a few people going over to Orlando as well. Uh, we may have a any alumni we have living somewhere in Florida, I'm sure will find their way there. I'm I'm just uh, I know, I know you talked about it, but uh, they were in the Bahamas against Southern Cal in Kansas, and uh, it looks like the Kansas was a very good, uh, easy victory for them at that point. And uh, yeah, they I won my old double figures, from what I recall. And some of their other games, a couple of other games, non-conference were maybe giving them a little extra credit because they were in Nashville, you know two hours away, still in their home state. Yeah. One of those tournaments. Yeah, All right. You know, Tennessee's well-tested. Uh, they've played the tops in the country's teams in the, in the nation. Granted, many of those were earlier in the year. And sometimes when you stub your toe late in the year, you know, and they, you know you're going to be in the tournament and you sort of go through the motions. What we haven't mentioned is when we go through the individual players, we have uh, 
two of their last uh, three games ended up in losses, but that was right after their top point guard, a guy named Ziegler, was injured. And um, he's a significant player. If I had to compare it to somebody in the Sun Belt, I'd say it'd be Alvarez for Southern Miss. And you saw without Alvarez, Southern Miss struggled against South Alabama. Uh, we go through some of the stats. I'll tell you uh, how much of a key guy he was. Uh, well, so is he done for the season then? He's done for the season. He he, he was hurt in a home win on February 28th. Uh, I think it was Arkansas. They, they it was. Lost, I believe then they lost to Auburn. And then went to SEC tournament after that. Okay. Well, let's talk some team I stats. This, I would oh. bet that a team like Tennessee is not that upset with uh, losing in their second game in the SEC tournament. That just They know they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're probably locked into a three or four seed, and they're probably just fine with having, not having to play two extra games. I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's 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 an advantage there, just like I think uh, – I'm not going to say it's advantage against the Cajuns, but at the same time, the, because the Cajuns have had uh, a full week to rest as well. So uh, more they're going to have had about a, six days. The Cajuns will have had, what, 10, 11? Yeah. I'm okay with that for the Cajuns because I was worried about the Sun Belt Tournament where we were off eight days and Georgia Southern, our first-round opponent, had played a couple of days before. But we played a really good first half against George Sutton after being off for eight days. So that gives me a little encouragement for this upcoming game. Uh, yes. I, I think it, it's a positive all the way around. Uh, team statistically, I, I'm not sure. Where do you want to go with – I've got some things I'll, I'll talk about, but I'm going to give it to you first. What are you looking okay, at well, statistically? Statistics uh, that impressed me about uh, Tennessee, one is – they score 72 points a game, which is normally to be in the middle of the pack. You know, you know you, our coaches say if we get to 72, we should be good enough to win. But they gave up only 58 points per game. At one time, they had the top defense in the nation. I'm not sure in what stats, if it was on points per game or field goal percentage. But, you know, offensively, they, they make 44% of their shot, 33% of their three-pointers, which is pretty typical. You know, it's nothing pop up. Not bad, not good. Maybe slightly better than average. But where they really make their money is they hold you to 37% shooting, and they only allow 26% on three-pointers by the opponents. That 26% on three-pointers is one of the top uh, figures in the country. So they do a good job of limiting other teams' three-point shots. They're probably a pretty good job of running people off the line. I know not having Ziegler is going to affect that. I did notice they, sh- they shoot a lot of threes. They shoot 24 threes per game. Uh, you know, Some games they're approaching 30. A lot of teams are doing that. You know, We think we shoot a lot, but you know we're pretty middle of the pack. Uh, Rebounding is, I found this very interesting. They out rebound their opponents 39 to 32. They gathered 39 rebounds per game, which is slightly better than average, but they only allowed 32. It's 35 sort of the normal. And, but what's key about that is they have nobody averaging more than five rebounds a game. So they're a team rebounder. It's not like us where, uh, you know, Jordan Brown or Terrence Lewis is going to be our two main rebounders. They team rebounds. Everybody goes to the boards. So it's tough to just pick up one guy. We're going to make sure we block him out. Do you Obviously, think that you have? Uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, do you think that that's uh, can be an advantage taking? Uh, because I know Coach Marlin doesn't like the guards rebounding, but at the same time, he let Elford do it because Elford could always get back on defense fast enough. Uh, I mean, I, I'm wondering if the Cajun speed maybe on a fast break might be uh, a beneficial if they're all, if they're all hitting the boards like that. Could be, could be if Jordan can get it out, you know. Jalen Dalcourt's a good jumper. He'll go in there and grab one for us at times. But, you know, most of the time, uh, you know, 
if our big guys are getting the rebound, we like to have the other guy streaking down the baseline. Streaking down the sideline, rather, get to the baseline and get there to their short corner three. Yep. So it could be. Uh, okay. Turnovers, of course, is what everybody's talked about. Without Ziegler, they're going to force as many turnovers as team is going to have. Folks going to have just as good a game as he did in the Sun Belt tournament. I don't know. I know this. They uh, force 14 turnovers a game, and they only allow uh, – they only commit 11 or so. But the key on that is they score 18 points per game off opponents' turnovers. So they get turnovers, they you make you pay. So you know, I've heard other people say rebounding is going to be the key to the game. I think it's limiting our turnovers. And I talk about their defense, you know, um, four blocks per game. When we go there, they're the players, and they got some pretty big dudes. And they also average uh, eight steals a game. You know, when you're one of the better defenses in the country, eight steals as a team, that's outstanding. Um, that's I'm probably why they're ranked in the probably why they're ranked so high. Those two that you talked yeah. about with steals and blocks on the defensive now, side. Now, how much of a factor is Ziegler in absence? Well, in the SEC tournament, they allowed 50% shooting in their um, well, the last three games without Ziegler. In the last game, their last regular season loss, they allowed about 50% shooting. Uh, they allowed Ole Miss to be 47%, but Ole Miss had played the day before, and they were fresh, and they allowed 56% shooting to Missouri. So I wonder if not having Ziegler, who puts the pressure, probably was the guy putting pressure on the ball, making it hard to go inside. You know, a 5'9 guy can affect your defense much more than you think. Because he was averaging two steals a game on his own. So not having him may have affected him. I'm sure they're going to have made arrangements or uh, adjustments for us uh, going around that. So that that's a key key guy. Uh, so is his absence going to be a factor as it was in the last couple of games of the tournament? I don't know. You know, that's what I said. They probably don't mind losing, giving a little more time to adjust. I know Coach Marlins uh, mentioned at uh, somebody in the press conference after the little uh, watch party at the uh, walk-ons, which was a fun deal, by the way. Uh, I've seen some of it on social media. Uh, I was there, but I didn't get a very good look at all the players where I was seated. Is that they had been looking at 10 teams, you know. Since we won on Monday night, yeah, I guess they were figuring out who's more likely to play. I would not be surprised the hints I've gotten that Tennessee is the team that we probably maybe paid a little bit more attention than others. So I don't think we're not going to be prepared. I think our scout will be fine because it's been most of the year. You know, do you pay much attention to last five or last 10 games uh, on when you're looking at statistics? Some. And that's what I looked, I looked at the last three because that's when Ziegler was out. And that's the team we're facing. And, and, and uh you know, they lost, the, the, I think 79 71 to Missouri earlier in the year. They lost by one to Missouri on the last second shot. They lost by on the last second shots to Missouri and to Vanderbilt. And I think maybe that affected their psyche a little bit. I don't know. I so said, like I said, they were one time they were number one in the country, they had number one defense in the country, but they started playing more road games, you know, like everybody else is going to affect you. You know, the one thing that I looked at here, the last five, uh, last five games, they're, they're three and two, but they shot nearly 50% from the field and 38% from the three point line. Uh, I, I just, it's sometimes the record is good. The last few games. Okay. Well, that's, what I was going to say sometimes the record doesn't indicate uh, some of those things, but uh, if, if, if that's what I'm, uh, and I didn't look at the defensive side of the ball uh, for them. So, it could be that that they're uh, missing their their point guard. So, yeah. 
Um, Auburn in, and they gave up 79. And they lost to Missouri and they gave up 79. Some of the other games, you know, were, you know, they're scoring in the 60s or they're winning by, by five or something like that. But they generally scoring in the 70s, when, which is pretty typical. So they average 71 points a game. And their defense is good enough that they usually win about 20 in the early part of the season. You know, there's an interesting stat to me that kind of jumps out to uh, in, in when you look at their last 10 games, their game against Alabama was a 68 to 59 victory, but they, they shot and they shot 37, 36.5 from the field, 26% from the three point line and 64% from the free throw line, which are all things that you think those numbers right there, especially what they've been, what they've been doing the rest of the time. That's, that's a recipe for a loss, but it all brings back to your point about their defense and their strong defensive play. But again, without their that was with their point guard. How do they adjust from there? Well, I gave against Alabama, talked about their scoring, but they only allowed 35% uh, shooting by Alabama, who's number one seed. I did. Uh, you know, I guess I game, but, you know. Yeah. This is not going to be an easy. I heard some people say, okay, I like the matchup because, you know, Tennessee lost their players, but, you know, they got a lot of other good players. At one time, they had 10 guys averaging more than 10 minutes per game. And we like our bench, but now they have nine. So they were playing 10 guys more, more than 10 minutes per game. So uh, we can move on to some of our individual players, if you like. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, a couple of things that jumps out to me real quick uh, is that, um, you know, you've got guys, I mean, you, you to your point, you go down the line, you know, you've got guys different guys starting all over the place. You know, this got one guy's at 10 starts, another one, nine, 17, but only one, two players, uh, Santiago Vescovi played in Vescovy, 30 games. I think is the way the name pronounced. Okay. Vescovi. All right. Yeah, he's uh, actually from Uruguay, but played high school ball in Australia. So he's a world traveler. So a guy like that, you know, sometimes when you play all over the world like that, you know, we talk about moments being too big for you. It's not. Yeah. He's their best player. He averages 13 points a game, uh, almost five rebounds and three assists per game. He's a good, well-rounded player. He's a left-handed guy, uh, second on team in assists, beyond the guy who got hurt, 6'3 guy. Uh, I've watched some of his highlights. He's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, he's the only he's the only one that's averaging over 30 minutes a game. That was surprising to me as well. But I guess you can yeah. do that with a deep bench. Yeah, he, He's number 25. Uh, their second le leading scorer at this time when the guy's coming in is a guy named can't say his name starts with an N he's got like 10 letters but from what I went to their website he's from Finland his name's Kamwa okay uh, he, he's uh, got similar moves inside to, to Jordan Brown Jordan Brown I believe he's 6'9 shoot the mid-range pretty well around got good decent moves good footwork Good compliment to uh, Vescovy. Like I said, if you see his name, it's 10 letters. Just say Kamwa. <laughs> and he's from, yeah. so they're two, he's from Finland. So their two best players, their best inside player and their best guard are both international players. Interesting. You know, it's, inter it's interesting, though, that, that, they, they, that he's the other one that's every game he's played in all 33 games that he started all 33. But you look at some of the other ones, Although they average uh, or started minutes, you know, 
one of their guys, uh, Phillips, only played in 29 of the 33. Uh, Key, 30 of the 33. You know, not every, although they've got t- guys that have started games, they're not playing in every game. So, and that could be because early on, I haven't dug into their individual stats at, you know, game by game. So that could be early on, they may not have played. And some coaches play guys or start guys depending on the matchup. So, you know. True. He just got to start because he's a good defensive player and he'll hold this guy down, that type of thing. But, you know, when I saw 10 guys averaging 10 minutes a game, that was nine. I was pretty impressed. By the way, the, the guy named Kamwa, his number is 13. So if you look at their best guard is number 25, their best uh, inside player is number 13. Their swingman is a guy named James. Uh, he's also a lefty. He's number 30, six foot six. So he'll probably be a, a guy similar to what you know, Greg Williams for us. And their best guard is number four. Guy named Tyree Key. Tyree Key. He comes off the bench and he averages a lot of minutes as well. So, um, what else do we want to say about their lineup? Well, we don't have to go to individual players, but listen to this. Here's the height of their top seven guys as far as minutes played 6'3, 6'4, 6'9. That's Kamwa. 6'6, 6'11. So they're guys they started the last two games inside were 6'11 and 6'9. 6'11 guys against uh, Adu. I have a hard time saying his name. The stats don't pop up at you, but, you know, someone like that big, you put him against a run a 6'9 guy, he can help the defense. And the two guys off the bench are 6'2 and 6'8. Uh, so they have a lot of height. And they also have length. People say, what, what do you mean when you say long? Well, when they say long for a player, it usually means his arms are longer than the normal person at that height. You know, it could be a six nine guy, and if he stays long, he might be to have the arms the average person seven foot. So that's why they're so good on defense. You know, with that much length, they can actually knock a lot of balls away, make it tough to get to the basket. And um, you know, like I said earlier, they had 120 blocks of the year. That's almost four blocks a game. They have almost, uh, they have eight steals a game. Now, are those numbers as good in the last few games when they lost? You know, six of their losses has been since February first. Probably not. But again. I explained that because they were on the road. This is going to be a neutral court game come Saturday. And, you know, much bigger school than that. You know, their fans, uh, they're, they're not, their fans have been in the used to travel to the state tournaments. So I bet they'll have a good contingent of all fans down there. Maybe spring break in Tennessee as far as all I know. And I know that uh, down in Florida, the people at the theme parks are telling me they're packed right now with the spring break kids. Wow. Any uh, Any surprise? I mean, uh, that they're, you know, their last two games, you know, they had four fast break points and two fast break points. I thought a team that was scoring in the seventies would, would, would like to run the ball or get the ball moving a little bit. Well, yeah, like I said, they had 18 points per game off turnovers. I just think they have, uh, not adjusted their last few games and not adjusted. They're not having their own ball guy, you know, a guy like Ziegler is that quick, that fast. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the ball, makes it tough to get the ball inside. I, I just think they hadn't adjusted to him because the injury happened so late in the season. And they've had a whole week to adjust now. True. True. So, so the Didn't question going forward way. is, where can the Cajuns have success against a team with the statistics I just showed you? Any thoughts from your end on that? I, I think, uh, I think we're going to have to make sure uh, Jordan Brown stays out of foul trouble. Um, I think that's, and, and I think Demas 
although he stepped up, uh, uh, step has stepped up his play, he needs to continue uh, handling the ball well. And uh, Lewis, I think, is going to be a key around the basket. Uh, if we can get second chance points with him off of uh, some rebounds or something, I think the Cajuns will be successful. Yep. Well, everybody says rebound the ball well, you know, limit them to one shot. Make your free throws, don't turn it over. That's the recipe for success in any game. I wonder with a 6'9 guy and a 6'11 guy inside, will they try to guard, guard Jordan one-on-one? A lot of times teams with that much success on defense don't double a lot because the guys, with, if you double a lot, that means you've got a deficiency and you don't trust your defense for everybody. So I wonder if they try to guard Jordan one-on-one. Uh, you know, like talked about team as well. Uh, when he had success earlier in the year, I remember a big game he had was he, he wasn't picking up his dribble. And when he's a couple of times, he, he didn't do as well as other games that he does. So let's hope he uh, keep the ball on the floor and pass it when the guy's open. Movement away from the ball. He talked about getting Jordan open, you know, in the Sun Belt tournament. We moved Jordan around a lot to get him the ball where he get the ball at, uh, maybe at the free throw line. Or remember also team has had success driving to the basket where Jordan would post up and then move away, things like that. So I uh, also think we have to be careful and uh, not take the first shot that's available when a better shot's coming later. You know, I like to say, okay, we, we'd like to get our guys running down the sideline and maybe uh, get wide open three. Sometimes I think those happen a little too quick. If you make a couple of other baskets first, you know, get warm and then take those. Yeah, it, so. It's something that we talked about all year and that you, you've talked about the, the depth of the depth of a mid-range jump shot. But at the same time, I think uh, if you start hitting a couple of those, your, your three-pointer will fall. The other thing, I wonder who's going to guard Vescovy. Um, oftentimes, Garnett's guard their best player. He's be about the same site, 6'3". And your key on that is to mean prevent him from catching the ball. He's got a good mid-range, by the way. He can score. He's a th- three-level scorer. He can get to the basket, finish. Got some mid-range shots if you take away his three. They do like to shoot the three, so maybe that's the key, too, is run him off the line a little bit and make sure we get the rebound if we get him shooting mid-range. I did notice in the uh, game against Ole Miss, Ole Miss was able to hold them to 23% in the second half, three-point shooting, three of 13. So, And I think this team, uh, to your point about running them off the line, this is something that we've done all season long. So it's not a new concept that we're bringing into our defense. I think advantage there for us. We had a little uh, lull in that aspect about middle of the year because, you know, our percentage – we were giving up was a little higher than we expected, but in the Sun Belt tournament, we were excellent. Excellent. Remember a guy named White for Alabama was shredding the nets in the uh, previous tournament games, and he did not score one three-point bucket in the championship game. So, uh, at the end of the season here, we've gone back to what we were doing earlier and pretty good at preventing the three-point shot. So, that's another key for a team that likes to shoot a lot of them. The 6'11 guy and the 6'9 guy he talked about rebounding. You know, make sure we uh, got those. And also, like, I wonder about our depth. You know, we've played a lot of people, but sometimes our uh, numbers we get from the guys off the bench are not as well. They'd be in the tournament, they were pretty good, you know, with Jalen Dalcourt. And, you know, that's another thing. Mean, we talk about their defense. If the shot clock runs down and uh, we can't get inside, Jalen's a guy who can get a shot off. So you might see him in the game if uh, we have trouble in the shot clock situations. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm doing a bad thing in looking ahead. I have no clue 
who the who who matches up next in the in this tournament for the winner. So um, it's Oral Roberts who had one versus Duke. In fact, okay. uh, Duke and uh, Tennessee were going back and forth between the four spot and the five spots in a lot of the mock tournament predictions. Or Roberts had one of the best uh, mid-majors in the country. I think their record's 30 and four. You know, that's a 5-12 game. I don't know the time we would play on Saturday. Uh, I haven't looked that far ahead. Uh, I don't know if it's Saturday afternoon, Saturday or not, what have you. I don't know uh, if we were fortunate enough to win. Most people presume we played Duke. A few years ago, there was talk of us going to Duke in the money game, and it didn't come off. And a lot of our fans, you know, would have loved to see that just because you play a traditional power. So maybe that'll happen. Let's hope. Absolutely. Well, Mike, any last words of wisdom or things that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on now? I think oh, we've covered. Just keep, even if you're not at the game, you keep the positive vibes going. Uh, a lot of good things are happening. Uh, with the basketball program, it was one of the benefits of finishing a tournament early. Was Coach Marlin was get, able to get a lot of the national shows and promote the program. Our name passed up. Uh, was showing a lot of uh, media's uh, formats. Yeah. CBS, I think that's a key thing. Let's not let's not uh, uh, lose this opportunity here to showcase our program. Absolutely. Well, Mike. Yeah. Hopefully, final, uh, I will say this. My final thought is: people thought maybe okay. Because of the way Tennessee struggled, that this was going to be a good matchup. Don't think that way. They're going to be quite an opponent. It's quite a challenge. But my final term is, with great challenge comes great opportunity. Exactly. Well, Mike, hopefully we have a victory Thursday night, and maybe you and I can get together on Friday and, and get kind of look at the, the next game. If not, we'll talk to you next week, and hopefully uh, we're not wrapping up the season. That I'll get to talk to you before then. So. Yeah, hopefully not. Enjoy it as usual, Craig. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it as always. Always good insight. I love uh, love talking sports. So this is this is a great great time for to be a Cajun fan with everything that's going on. So, agreed. You've been listening. We're talking. We've been talking basketball, raging Cajun basketball with longtime fan Mike Abear. Thanks for listening. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.